Hey, Jordan. Hey, Rach. Welcome back, everyone, to Just the Good Stuff, your new favorite podcast, hosted by Rachel Mansfield and Jordan Carpenter. And in today's episode, we are chatting with someone who has become a very good friend of ours, especially since he's been talking on the Zoom. Kiva Dickinson on the, on the Zoom. On the Zoom, Kiva Dickinson. He is the founder and managing partner of Selva Ventures. And I know what you guys are thinking. What is Rachel doing? Having a podcast interview all about venture capital and finance and a topic that probably can sound a little intimidating and like as I like to always say like unapproachable to a lot of people and it is a my mission this year and beyond to make this a topic that many can talk about and I want to make this attainable and more conversational and we're breaking we're breaking down the basics at least in my opinion in this episode would you agree yeah and i think kiva is probably one of the best people to explain it like very yeah. eloquently but also like in layman's terms because as you love to say now the venture capital space and just i would say investing in general has definitely been one of those places that it's like, uh, you know, kind of like an exclusive club um, that kind of like built barriers to kind of make it sound like way more intimidating than it really needs to be. For sure. And Kiva and Jordan and I are, are on a similar mission where we're looking to invest and help brands grow that are better for you. So they're making consumers' lives better. They're your favorite chocolate. They're for us, like your favorite high chair, your favorite play table, the pouches you feed your children. And we explain why brands need funding from either angel investors or venture capital funds such as Great Shit and, and, and Kiva Selva. And we're chatting more about how Kiva got started, how he got involved in this industry, what it's been like starting his own fund. And also since then, we were able to hang out with him at Expo West and walk the floor together. Definitely listen back to our episode on Expo West if you haven't already. And we really value the insights that he shares. He's someone that we really look up to in this space. And we're excited to be close collaborators with him. And something that we have personally been really enjoying, I would say, about the investing space in particular is that it's like not competitive, like the influencer space. Like I'm not a competitive person in general. So for me, when other influencers are, you know, a little tit for tat competitive in some ways, that's just like not how I like to operate and to see how in with investing it's super like no one views each other no one views the other person as like a competitor and that's something that has been really refreshing and it's been a fun to collaborate with Kiva and we are both investors in midday nowadays I'm not forgetting that's it right that's it that's it and probably more to come and let us know what you think of this episode definitely screenshot it and share it when you're listening because it makes me so happy when I know that people are like listening to the podcast as I'm like checking it. It's just like, it makes me so happy. It fills me with so much joy. If you do want to rate and review the podcast, that's always a huge plus. And we'll be back next week with another amazing episode for you. So I'd love to kind of rewind a bit and start with you, like how you got involved in this space. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I, I, I love what you said there about the lack of transparency because it's almost become a mission of mine to make building this firm more open so that people can understand it better, partially to have other folks make the jump that I did and partially to, to have brands understand how our business works and how we think about things in a way to just make things more relatable. I think people understanding each other and empathizing better just makes our whole ecosystem better. So how I got into this space, I was working at a private equity firm in San Francisco called TPG. We were buying big retailers. I was on the consumer investing team. And you know, it was a time when e-commerce and health and wellness were really on the rise, but we didn't have a whole lot of exposure to that. We owned J. Crew, we owned Savers. Um, we had recently uh, made a big investment in Gelson's, the, the LA uh, or SoCal grocery store, but that, that was kind of the extent of our, our you know, chance to dip our toes into wellness. 
And e-commerce was really on the rise. So, so retail was becoming really hard. At the same time, I was going home from work every day and stopping at Whole Foods. And you know, I, I didn't really know how to cook. I didn't have time to learn. And so I'd buy prepared food there, but I'd, I'd kind of wander the aisles and I'd see all of these amazing brands that were innovating so much. And I'd bring them to work and say, like, guys, why, why aren't we investing in this stuff? This stuff's amazing. It wasn't possible. The companies were too small for our fund. But we did find along that way uh, a company called Circle Up that was basically providing an equity marketplace for people to invest in the brands they liked. Some of it was crowdfunding. Some of it was institutional investors investing in companies. But basically, Circle Up would find companies like Simple Mills, Miyoko's, Beyond Meat, Halo Top. And people could come in and invest in those companies one-off. In around 2017, they were actually deciding to launch their own fund to invest in those companies directly. And they needed investors who knew how to do that. And so uh, I came over around the time that TPG was looking at investing in Circle Up to uh, help them get that started. And so I dove in headfirst. I had to learn so much of the industry behind it. You know, fun fact, I, th- I, think I, I think I probably followed you in the first couple months of that journey to just learn about how all this stuff worked because it was so fascinating to me. And so I found this amazing ecosystem and community that genuinely is making consumers' lives better. And for a long time, kind of felt like you know, th- this, was, this was on the rise and there was a way to impact it in a really positive way, which kind of sprinkled the early seeds of, of what I'm doing now. Well... I'm honored that you, and sorry that you had failed. You taught me a lot, Rachel. (laughs) You know, that really, that's a bullet point in our deck because I found out that a lot of people were utilizing platforms similar to to mine to to grow this and that. I'm like, why are people, like, why am I not doing this now? You know? I think that's a that's the right question to ask yourself. (laughs) And then just to kind of fast forward to today, what are what are you doing and, and and what are you running? Yeah, so in 2019, I had been at Circle Up for about two years. I had been involved in a couple of investments there that had you know both both taught me how positive the relationships can be with these entrepreneurs and and how powerful the outcomes can be if you if you get involved with the right ones. One of those was a, a plant-based creamer company called Nut Pods. And the other was a hydration supplement company called Liquid Ivy. And I was repeatedly finding that in my job, in order to find companies at the Series B stage, call it, the best way to to find the best ones and you know present yourself as a great partner is, is to actually meet them when they're doing their, their rounds or their seed rounds or maybe even haven't launched yet. So that by the time they get to the size where you can invest, you know them really well. You understand what makes them tick. They understand how you can help. And sometimes those really early investments, I found myself not wanting to wait. I found myself having so much conviction in the product and team and brand that I wanted to act then and there. And it didn't really fit what we did at Circle Up. And so in those moments, I would try to introduce those companies to other folks in my network to help them find great investors until we were ready to invest. And I just kind of discovered there wasn't anyone really doing it. There was consumer funds who, like us, didn't really go early. And there were venture funds that had sort of dabbled in CPG here and there, but didn't didn't really make it their bread and butter. They were much more focused on technology. And so the folks who would invest in these rounds were ultimately a combination of angel investors and family offices. And those people were great. They were really helpful. They wrote small checks. It became kind of a headache to to cobble them all together for the brands. They often had other day jobs where they didn't devote their lives to helping these brands strategically grow and and build into into great businesses. And they're also really hard to find. (laughs) This is like the biggest feedback that I have is like a brand that's raising capital at that stage couldn't couldn't find the go-to firm. And so... I felt like if the go-to firm didn't exist yet, why not, why not be the go-to firm? Uh, which was a really bold thought at the time. And, and so I, I quit in 2019 and started building what is now Selva Ventures, which has evolved into uh, a health and wellness-focused venture capital firm to support brands at the early stage. So you quit at Circle Up before you even were established? I mean, I had a network. I, I knew companies in the ecosystem that 
you know, I, I had wanted to invest in or would want to invest in. And I knew a bunch of people who I felt like would show me transactions. Um, I also felt like the kind of deals that I was going to do were very collaborative. So we, we can talk about, you know, being a lead or, or being a co-investor. Uh, in the early days, I always felt like that the range of check size that I would write would actually suggest that even, even the folks at Circle Up would want to team up with me. They wouldn't view me as a competitor. They would want to bring me into their deals and vice versa. And that meant there was not such a cold start, but it definitely felt risky. I mean, I, I went to my first meeting with, with a company, didn't have a website, didn't have a brand, didn't have capital closed yet, and had to sort of convince those folks, God bless them, to, to, to trust me enough to eventually believe that the money would hit their bank account, which luckily it did. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was touch and go there for a minute. I think you brought up like a good point about how this whole ecosystem works of venture capital funds, like supporting startup brands in the CBG space. So maybe for like the listeners who aren't maybe that familiar with it, kind of just walk us through how that ecosystem of venture capital and these brands kind of uh, coexist. Yeah, you know, first of all, it, it is a it's a very big ecosystem when you go to an event like Expo West and see that tens of thousands of people there and, and so many brands launching every day. When you've been in it for a little while, it feels like a really small world. And the people who devote themselves to the ecosystem tend to know each other and tend to collaborate together a lot. And so uh, the biggest investment firms out there want to believe that the smallest companies that aren't yet ready for their capital will have support along the way. So a lot of the best and most successful biggest firms do a lot of ecosystem building at the beginning, which is to say, help them find investors, help them find talent, uh, help them find you know, other, other advisors and partners that, you know, will help you get started. So, you know, I, I think, I think one of the folks that's best known for that is a guy named Wayne Wu at BMG, who, who kind of knows everybody and helps connect people. There's, there's another former colleague that I had at, at Circle Up who, who now works at Olipop named Steve Vigilante, who kind of does the same thing. These like super connectors that try to bring people together do so in the effort that a more healthy ecosystem benefits everybody. And down the road, you know, the, the, you know, belief and understanding is that investment that you make early on is going to pay off in seeing the best opportunities and being able to work with the best companies. And so in the early days, it can be really intimidating. It feels like everybody knows each other. It feels like there's so many. Once you break in and, and invest time in helping people, you'll find a lot of that help comes back to you. And so the firms want to help the companies so that, you know, generally over time, they'll be able to invest in the best ones and people will seek them out to work with them. And you know that the companies want to to show their value to the firms and invest a lot in that relationship building, and so I, I see it going quite two ways. It's very interesting, but I, I do agree. The more time that I've spent now in this area, like everyone knows each other, and very incestual space. And I would say the most amazing part is that obviously people are competitive, but everyone's always willing to help or share advice. I think it shows. I think it just shows a lot about the industry and the people in it as a whole. Well, I totally yeah. agree. Think about it when we spoke to you. What was it? Probably three or four weeks now. When you were telling us about nowadays, and I was getting confused with another brand when you originally <laughs> were talking about it. And then I'm like, no, I worked with nowadays, and I tried like. I literally slid into their DMs trying to get a hold of someone because I worked with them through an agency, and they. Agency wasn't able to like uh, connect me, and then you had said you invest. I'm like, oh my god, I wanted to, and you immediately made an intro, and that's not the first time something like that has happened. And I think that in the whole like influencer space, some people are really competitive and not as collaborative. Yeah, um, I've always been a very collaborative person. Like, if someone, a friend, asks me how much a brand paid me, I tell them like, and you know, I expect vice versa. But to see in this space in particular how everyone will just extend a helping arm like however they can. They'll make an intro. One of our friends who's the founder of a brand, he said, we call him Mr. LinkedIn because he gets hundreds of DM uh, messages on his LinkedIn probably every month. And he takes like every phone call and he takes wow. the time to help like every single brand. And it's 
so time consuming to do something like that. But I feel like you kind of like you pay it forward and you share your like mistakes and learnings and whatever. But I think that's why that's really what's attributed to this space growing so much in the last decade is because people are like so helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody collectively agrees that we are we are early to a mega trend. The ship has not sailed. And so because of that, all of us investing our time to help grow the ecosystem will be the rising tide that lifts all ships. So there's times where things can be competitive and certainly later stage investors need to compete with each other a little bit more. There's just not enough to go around. But in, in most of the deals that we do, uh, and, and by the way, this is one of the reasons that I love this space so much, is we don't need to take the entirety of rounds. And once we're invested, we only want great people to come join us. And so we're always looking for people that we know complement our skill set, people that we like to collaborate with, frankly, just team players who are looking to help. Surrounding those people with yourself and your companies is probably the best thing that you can do. When you are looking to invest in a brand on behalf of Selva, like actually, let's kind of backtrack on how this all works. I think that from your perspective, it could get, and I'm new to this entire space in the last like couple of years when it comes to investing. And I still get confused. And I don't, what's with all the like acronyms? Like everything, like can you just, like no one just says the words and the phrases. I'm like, you know why? You know why, Rachel? It, all these, all this. Do you ever want to sound smarter than they are? <laughs> well, no. I, I honestly think it 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 was built a long time ago to make the industry more intimidating to people, so that the gatekeepers could collect fees. And so, a, a lot of the lack of transparency was quite intentional. And the nice thing about how open the world is now, uh, and hopefully, you know, folks like you and I investing time to make this more accessible. Is that yeah. people aren't as intimidated anymore and people can go act on what they think is just good business. That actually makes me feel so much better. Thank you. Cause like we were on the phone yesterday with Angelist and they're like, GP, LP, this, accredited this. I am like, I don't know what this stuff means. Like I can try and I'm like, I'm like, what's a GP? It's like general partner. Why well, can't someone just say general partner? That's not that hard. Well, even if they say general partner, you still got to know what that means. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things here that, that could use uh, a, a very long glossary, a very long you know, list of how-to videos. And you know, I, I used to work at big firms and I didn't understand how a lot of this stuff worked because it kind of got done for you. Once you actually have to do it yourself, you have to know everything. So let's start with what is a venture capital fund? Like, How would you sure. define that if you were explaining this to like your great-great-grandma or your five-year-old nephew. <laughs> okay. So if you're a startup and you're looking to grow, you'll, you'll have an idea and you'll start building a product to you know, facilitate that idea. And eventually, in order to grow to what you may need, uh, you might want a little bit of cash to get started that exceeds what you and your friends and family will give you. And so you'll go to an organization that invests in those companies uh, that look like you, of your stage, of your type, in order to get the growth capital to just keep proving out your idea. Maybe it's you need supplies, maybe it's you need to hire people, whatever it may be. What those organizations look like really is a collection of people called a venture capital fund or a venture capital firm that are managing people, managing other people's money in order to generate returns for those people because they have access to good deals, they have an ability to evaluate those deals, and they have an ability to help those companies grow. And so what a venture capital fund really is, is it's a collection of other people's money with a manager who is trying to go out and find the best companies to help them grow and ultimately facilitate a return to give back to those people. And so I, as, as the manager of a venture capital fund, I represent the GP, the, ge- the general partner that, that you referred to. I have limited partners who are my investors who have trusted me with their money to go out and find the best health and wellness companies to invest in and hopefully generate great returns. And the reason that they give that money to me is that they believe that the thesis that I have of health and wellness growing and brands building you know, better lives for their consumers will be a profitable place to deploy money. 
and my ability and process to find and pick the best companies is worth letting me do it rather than letting somebody else do it or them do it themselves. And so the fees that they pay us, the venture capital fund, help us keep the lights on so that you know I can have an office and fly down to LA to, to Expo West to find the next great brand. And when we generate a good return, we get a small portion of the profits generated from that investment. That's called carried interest. And basically, uh, over time, if we prove that we're good at this, then we should be able to find more LPs who want to trust us with their capital and raise bigger funds to help more brands. So when someone invests in our fund, so someone gives you, writes you a check for Selva, they become an LP. Yep. I'm a limited partner. Like that's such a fancy way of just saying I wrote a check and I'm a part of it. Well, not only not only do the gatekeepers need to get paid, but the lawyers need to get paid. So there has to be a lot of fancy language that that keeps everybody in business. So crazy. <laughs> I'm just laughing because did we take business law together in college? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. I took it. Jordan and I went to college together. He was a year older. Than me, but we took corp finance together. Oh, we took corporate finance together. I took business law, but I didn't pay attention to literally anything. See, that's where you, you should have paid a little more attention. Maybe you were. That's, that's a topic that feels really dry until your like, life depends on it. And then all of a sudden you wish you had access to good lawyers and good education. I wish I paid more attention in college to that too. You know, I was just like, I got no perks. Like, where am I? Per- I just wanted to. Have <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. I somehow got an A. I remember I got an A in business law, and I thought I was like thriving. My teacher just like did me. well in corporate finance too. <laughs> Although yeah. the, the teacher did make fun of you a lot. Um, to, going back to you know, you said now you're in charge of other people's money to find the best brands. So like, how do you do that? Like, what's your process to going and finding these brands, and then like evaluating them and picking them kind of just give like a high level overview. Yeah. The whole process. So, I mean, there's really two ways you can, you can find companies. One is through your network. You can invest in a network that, you know, will, will surround yourself with other investors, other founders, other ecosystem partners, uh, content creators. I mean, tons of people around this see really interesting opportunities and frankly, just talking to them about what they're seeing, what they like, can give you ideas and give you relationships with, with new investment targets. The other, I would say, is just really research-driven. You can, you can spend time learning about where you feel like the world is going and how consumer behavior is changing. And that can lead you to ideas that might suggest, you know, hey, there isn't a whole lot of innovation in the candy aisle there's just so much sugar and fake ingredients, but you know it feels like people are looking for fresher products without preservatives, with lower sugar, with more nutrient density. Maybe we should go talk to the people who are building companies that look like that, and that can send you down a rabbit hole of meeting a hundred that might lead you to invest in one. You know, we we personally at at, at Selva have a really strong thesis on non-alcoholic alternatives and generally people consuming healthier options when they consume alcohol. And that led us down a multi-year rabbit hole that actually started back to my time at, at, at Circle Up and has continued here. And you know, we eventually invested in a non-alcoholic wine brand called Shirley at, at the end of all of that. But you know, that research and outreach can be really interesting because you know, when you when you have conviction on a certain product or a certain trend, and you reach out to an entrepreneur and say, Hey, I think what you're doing is really interesting and I think I can help, you know, most of the time they'll take that call. Their, their door isn't getting beat down by people looking to help them. And so, you know, I, I think in a lot of respects, that can be a great way of finding them. Then, then when it comes to evaluating them, it's hard in consumer. Everybody is a consumer. It's hard to box your personal tastes. And, you know, in theory, you, you want to really love what you invest in. And so, you know, you, you try to balance like how, how much should I uh, implement my own ideology on what I want to consume and what I want to invest in. We worked really hard to set up a process of evaluating these companies that would make things more repeatable. That would basically say, uh, we have a framework on what the ideal consumer investment looks like. And it's not you know, cookie cutter. It's meant to say, are you solving problems for consumers? Are you 
better at solving that problem than your competitors? Are you generating momentum in solving that problem that shows that you can scale? And is the problem actually big enough for you to build a big business if you're successful? So it's not, you know, do you have this number of grams of sugar? Do you have this number of dollars of sales? It is, it is a little bit higher level than that. But it's meant to basically say that if something passes through our framework, then it has legs and it's something that we should consider investing in. Are there ever brands where like that you would feel like is too big? Like you already like missed the boat on them. Like you would have loved to have been a part of it. Like when do you know, like that's not worth my time or like that's not worth Selva's investment at this point? Yeah. Great question. You know, I, I think there's two reasons why we've kind of set a revenue cap for, for what we would invest in. One is that the mission of Selva to begin with started with supporting really young brands. And so we don't want to make our focus supporting brands later in that journey today. We want to specialize in this stage where we think there's a ton of opportunity and that we think that we can very uniquely help. And so part of it is just that focus of, of doing the same kind of thing. Uh, the second is, is return potential. So when you invest earlier, you have higher risk, but you also have higher access to potential return. And so uh, we seek out investments that can return usually something like seven to 10 times our money. And there will be high risk in that, such that we hope that our ultimate returns to our investors is something like three to five times. Because some of them will hit seven to 10, some of them may even do better, but many of them won't reach that. And the winners will outweigh the losers. If you invest later, there's lower risk, but lower potential return. And so what I don't want to do is mix a low risk, low return investment in a portfolio of high risk, high return investments, because these just don't mesh together as well. So do you measure that only by revenue or do you measure that also just by like which round it is like a series A, series B? Like I'm yes. some, of, some of it's some of it's round. Some of it is just market size. Like how big could it be? Yeah. If, if I believed that a company could be worth over a billion dollars, then maybe I would invest when they're doing $20 million in sales uh, because I believe there's just so much more room to run that we'll be able to hit our 7 to 10x threshold. But usually in the world of CPG, really successful outcomes happen between $1 and $500 million. And so we don't want to be so reliant on finding the next buy or the next Oatly because there's just not that many of them. I used to work there. I don't know. Do you know that I used to work at Buy? I didn't. No. Dead. <laughs> random. <laughs> That's very random. I was um, Ben Weiss's assistant. Oh, cool. That's really cool. Before they were acquired. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have any, have any equity there. But that's a, a, a chat for a rainy day. That's very interesting. Now, are there ever been a brand that you spoke to so far that you said no, and then you see them killing it? And you're like, damn, I should have gotten involved in that. Or I feel, I feel like you're teeing me up for this because I think you know which one it is. Jordan <laughs> knows which one it is. Serenity Kids. Oh, that, that to me, that to me is like the one that got away. Uh, you know, I, I, I so introduced me to Kiva. Yeah. You know, I was wondering how you met Kiva. I was like, did was it through Cami? And then yeah, they introduced us. Joe introduced us. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I root for every brand we pass on. Truly. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any reason not to. And that came, that, that was so close for us. And, you know, we, we ultimately couldn't, couldn't align on terms, but I think they're phenomenal and I've stayed in close touch with them and, and even helped them, you know, w walk through discussions with potential hires in the past. That's kind of how close we remain, but, you know, they were, they were building such special products and the the people in my life who had young children said such incredible things about yeah. how those products had changed their children's lives. And, you know, sometimes you can't get out of your own way. And sometimes you, you sort of think, you know, may, maybe, maybe it won't quite hit the threshold, even though we love it so much. I wish I could have that one back, but I'm, I'm very excited about them. I think that's going to be a really big brand. 
You know, I think that's a hard, for, for, first of all, we love Serenity kids. Um, they were at the founders who actually were on our podcast like a year nice. or two yeah. ago. Probably, yeah. Actually, you know, we haven't done the podcast in over a year. So like a year and a half ago. But I think that as parents, you view a brand like that so differently because like we actually use the brand and the product right. for years before even investing in them. And there was the same thing with Lalo. Like we're investors in Lalo yeah. and you know, actually every single brand that we've pretty much had to have invested in, we were consumers of before. And the baby and family space in particular is tough because it's not saturated. It's still, uh, to me, it's still like a very new space, especially in like the organic better for you um, category. But what they're doing is so awesome. I mean, for us, like we wish that we were able to write larger check sizes for all these brands. Yeah. Like we're not going to see huge returns on our like minuscule investments <laughs> at this point. But they're yeah, they're killing it. They're they're doing they're doing a good job. But you know I, what? I feel like I feel like this week my my wound on that has been opened a few times because I was I was at my friend's place in in LA. I got to meet his his new daughter who's a year and a half old, but I haven't seen him in the pandemic. And she's walking around with the Serenity Kids puffs, and I'm like, oh no! And then, and then the next day, I talk to you know a, a guy that is is part of my ecosystem of of yeah. investors that I really look up to, and and he had made a personal investment in it. He told me like, there's one to watch, and so. If it's Joe, awesome. if, if if you're listening, I, I I miss you and I'm rooting for you, man. <laughs> I'll send we'll send we'll send it to Joe when when this comes out. That's so funny. I mean, we only invested in them because a friend of mine interviewed to be on their marketing team. And she, I was on the phone with her catching up. She's like, you know, I think Serenity Kids is closing around soon. She's like, I have no money, so I can't invest. Like you should call them. And that's the only reason why we even called them is because someone else telling us to like a, yeah. like a hot tip. You kind of mentioned like investing on different trends. So you don't have to give away like your secret sauce, but like, are there any trends that you're seeing right now that have been exciting or any things that that's like come out of the pandemic in the good for you space that you think is going to be, you know, big in the future? Yeah. First of all, none of this is secret sauce. If I, if I think I know something about the world, I like shot it from the rooftops Yeah, because for, for one, and, and, and this is something I've learned over time. Like I used to try to keep, my theories more silent and i felt like that would help to ensure that i have an edge that other people doesn't have that other people don't have and i might i might be able to find something faster truly when you start shouting things from the rooftops a few things happen like one people who are building who agree with you will be much more interested in talking to you and so you know when when i started writing uh, I, I started trying to invest more time in, in writing blog posts and, and writing on Twitter a few years ago. And one of the big breakthroughs for me was I, I, I was experimenting with like a bunch of healthier alcohol brands. And I wrote a, a Twitter thread on a Friday night, just randomly about why I thought this was the, the movement. And I woke up the next morning and it, it had gone viral. Like I had 300 followers or something and my follower count had tripled and people were DMing me saying, oh, hey, I work at Diageo and I completely agree and my boss won't listen to me. Like, let's talk. And these people started telling me all of the really interesting brands that I should be looking at. And so then I did the same thing on, on non-alcoholic and uh, you know, s- similar, like people, people kept inbounding saying, hey, I... I feel so strongly about this and everybody thinks I'm crazy, but you know, here are some of the brands to watch or here's, here's who you should talk to. I mean, this stuff has, has facilitated me meeting some amazing people and, some, uh, and helped me honestly convince brands that you know, may not want to work with me instead of somebody else to work with me because they know that I believe and I kind of went on the record and, and, and bet on it. So you know, long way of saying I like to share this stuff. The the ones I'm excited about, honestly, one I've I've, I've talked about non-alcoholic, so I don't, I don't have to I don't have to retrench that. But our our investment in nowadays and our investment in midday squares, I think both hit what I think is a really important movement in the better for you world over the past ten to fifteen years, which is that people want things that they love in a slightly or much healthier form. And they don't want to sacrifice all of the taste. There's a reason that, you know, 
health food has a, you know, a, a pretty negative connotation in terms of how much you enjoy it. People want to have their cake and eat it too. And they're actually willing to give up some taste. They're maybe willing to give up like 20% or 30% of the taste if it's going to be way better for them. But when somebody can deliver something that is as good for you or better for you than, you know, traditional, you know, healthier food, but tastes like the real thing, it's amazing. And people form incredibly powerful emotional connections with those brands. So whether it be a healthier functional chocolate bar, like Midday Squares, that I don't feel guilty when I snack on throughout the day or something like nowadays that has me eating my first chicken nuggets for the, I don't know, it's probably like 20 years since I had my, my last one regularly. This stuff's amazing. And, and that's what people get excited about. And that's what people tell their friends about. And that's what people work into their, their routines. And I think that's what builds big businesses. Yeah. I love it. I mean, well, first of all, with midday squares, I remember looking, like, taking of my very first bite of the peanut butter flavor and then looking at the packaging after because I didn't believe it when I read yeah. it. I was like, yeah. maybe we're lying. Like, this is so good. And that was when I fell in love. I think we, I must have reached out to what half a dozen people trying to get a connection to them. Like, well, I think we messaged you and you gave us Nick's number. But he, Nick never answered. He was on vacation. So he didn't answer Rachel. And Rachel's like, he's not answering me. He's not answering me. So then she like goes on this like rampage of like finding other people to like get in touch. Did with. you eventually find Jake? Yeah. Yes. Jake, so Jake, I, I should have introduced you to Jake at the beginning. Jake, Nick, Nick is so busy and that Jake is the rain, the rainmaker. His, huh? his job is to connect with people and, and make people happy. We call him Wags, like from Billions. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, um, actually, he was actually in New Jersey the other day. We, we, we went him. to lunch with him last week. So, and he's exactly as advertised. <laughs> Steven from Olipop, I texted him and I was like, Do you know anyone at Midday Squares? Like, I'm dying to connect with them. And he, so he had given me Jake's phone number. And then him and Jake are like two peas in a pod, like literally the same, the same person. So much energy. So much energy. And like, I think I'm high energy. And then I meet them. I'm like, You make me look like I'm on Xanax. Yeah. So then, next thing you know, I'm have a FaceTime notification from like some random number. I don't know. It was Jake. Like, he literally just FaceTime. We were in the car together, FaceTime me out of the blue. Never spoke to him. Never spoke to him. And didn't even know his name is Jake. And long story short, it's like the nicest, kindest human. And we love talking to him. Like, such a he great does guy. That, he does that for customers. I know. Jake just randomly will do that for customers. He will, he'll drive out to see customers and like wh whether it's somebody who just wrote a great review or even if somebody complains, they'll like FaceTime them and talk them through it, make sure they're happy. It's, it's honestly what he does for that company is incredible. And you know, it, it, it happens slowly and then all at once, but it feels like everybody knows him and Expo West will be the first chance for a lot of people to meet him in person. He's going to be the most popular guy there. I think. Do you, do you follow him on Instagram personally? Yeah. Did you see his trip to New York? I was like, how many people did you meet in New York? Milk run. He does. He does the milk runs. It, yeah. It's incredible. I was like, who are you? Yeah. Um, no, it's actually the most Canadian thing I've ever seen. We were like having lunch and he literally just like stopped this group of girls. He's like, hi, how are you? And like, no one says that in New Jersey, right? No one is like, it's hello. can you take a picture of us? And the girls were like, sure. like, it was just like, you know. And he like creatively <laughs> directed the photo. Like, was like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. These poor girls on a basketball team that like didn't, we don't know them. It was so Yeah, but it's definitely, definitely very funny. Now I, I have a question unless you have. Yeah, okay. So do you, now at Selva, do you offer to brands access or any type of like mentors in certain categories? So if say I'm making this up, so tell me like the shut up if it's not accurate, but say midday comes to you and they're like, Hey, we're looking to hire someone in this category. Like, do you have someone that kind of like, or like resources? Yeah. So the brand? We try to, we try to, we have a few advisors that, that are particularly helpful in some of these places. And so I find in, in some of the more technical areas, it can be really helpful to have people in house. So we, we have a guy on our team, his his name's Matt Gornstein. He's he's one of the, the the folks who lead the whole supply chain effort at Harry's, the big razor company. And Matt really helps all of our companies with their supply chain. And so when when somebody has a question or or somebody's looking to make a hire or somebody's looking to like change co-packers or they're freaking out because they need to make a change to their label, like 
I sure I, I can talk them through some of this stuff. And a lot of that I've learned secondhand. I find it's a lot better to just put an expert on the phone who's done it all before. And so in those situations, you know, we're always looking for, for you know, the, the, the chance to help and to surround ourselves with people who can help. It's hard to do everything. You know, some, some firms are really good at content. Some firms are really good at hiring. Some people from firms are really good at distribution. You know, we, we had originally uh, helped out the, the folks at Midday Squares with some distribution stuff by introducing some them to some of the people in our network at Whole Foods. And I tend to think if, if you're a founder, if you're capable of solving something, you, you will solve it. You'll get into the retailer that you should. You'll, you'll find the answer that you need. But if we as investors can make that happen just a little bit faster, yeah, then we've given them back time to go do other things in their business. And their time, the founder time, is the most important resource. It's also the most underpriced asset at the company. Like the these founders are are you know working for their sweat equity. They're they're working for their passion and belief in what they're doing. And they're usually insanely capable and insanely important. And so if we can just help them get an answer a little bit faster, they can go spend those hours of their day making the business even better. How many advisors do you guys have? I think we have five formal advisors. And then over time, we've built a, a network of, of just friends and informal advisors who, who like what we do and you know, want to collaborate that we're, you know, we try to connect with these brands. But you know, five people have kind of committed to, to say like, we, we endorse what you do and, and we're here to help. Got it. Um, I know you touched on this a little bit before. So how, but to dive into it, like with a little bit more detail, like how does Selva make money? So I know what someone says like, oh, like I'm a managing partner or I'm sorry, I'm a GP at, you know, this, <laughs> this fund. They say it in that voice, really? Yeah, I'm a GP <laughs> at this fund. Like it sounds so fancy, but how do you make money? Like how, like when in this process do, do the people that work and manage the fund bring home a profit? Cause it could take us like a long period of time until you see like, it's not, it's not fancy. I'm, I'm on video. You can see I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my home with some snacks on the wall and stuff, but, but that's about it. You gotta go uh, back. The there's, there's two ways that investment firms make money. The first is they're paid a fee to manage the capital of the people who opt in, like so a that's, fee or a percent. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it, it can it can be structured different ways, but the most general industry standard is, uh, let's say somebody gives you a million dollars, two percent of that million dollars, you use to pay expenses every year, and if you have a ten year fund, which is usually the life of these funds, that means you get that two percent every year to cover your expenses. And so if you gave me a million dollars to manage in our fund, 20,000 of that would go towards paying our expenses every year, which means in total 200,000 would pay our expenses for 10 years, which means 800,000 would actually go to companies. Okay. So that 200,000, you know, it covers our expenses and for a million dollars it's pretty modest, but if you can imagine some of the businesses out there that manage tens or, or hundreds of millions of, of dollars of capital or, or tens of billions of dollars of capital, that can add up. And so that, that ends up being quite profitable as you, as you accumulate more, more assets under management. The second way that folks make money is through the share of profits. So if we invest in a business and uh, we sell it and we receive a million dollars of profit on that investment between you know, what we went in at and what we, what we ultimately got at the exit, the standard in our industry is to get 20% of that profit. And so, you know, 800,000 would go to our LPs along with the original amount that, that was invested. And then 200,000 would get split amongst our team. And so usually for small firms like me, you're just trying to keep your, your lights on with the expenses. You're trying to you know, pay rent, pay for, pay for flights, you know, pay for everything you need to, to be in business. You're, you're really doing this for, for the incentive fee to, to share in profits down the road. Yeah. Now, how many people work at Selva, like full-time? If you asked me a couple of days ago, the answer would be just me. I'm very excited that I, I hired uh, my, my first teammate. Uh, her name is Madeline Kaplan. She is, she is awesome. Uh, I, I honestly can't say enough about 
just what it's like when you're early in your journey as an entrepreneur and somebody who's really talented takes a bet on you when you know they have all these other amazing opportunities they could have. She's amazing. She came from the consumer and media investing world. She's super passionate about health and wellness, and I think will really add a ton to our team. You know, even beyond that, though, like we're we're very much a family. So you know, the, the folks who who gave me the first capital to start Selva Ventures. I mean, they, they're founding partners. We meet really regularly. They're they're wonderful people who really support our mission. Have got a few folks who have worked with us while they're at school. Which is amazing, very very moving to me that people use that use that time to to help collaborate. So, have a, a teammate named Rachel who's getting her MBA at, at Penn, and a teammate named Daniel who's getting his MBA at, at Stanford, and they have a podcast called Subscribing to Wellness where they interview people in the in the uh, broader wellness ecosystem. And so maybe you should get on there one time, Rachel. But you know they they work with us on our companies and and day to day help quite a bit. Uh, and then we got our advisors. So like. Even though you know for for a long time it's only been me day to day, it, it never feels like a, a one person operation. Yeah, I feel you. I was by myself for six years, so it's, it's lonely. Damn, yeah. but <laughs> I get some I get some cabin fever sometimes. But I I am in very close quarters in COVID with my wife, and we have a cat that keeps me company, and is usually sitting right beside me here. So I'm I'm never too far from a friend. Yeah, now when Jordan when when COVID started and then Jordan started working from home, it was so weird to me to have like a companion. Well, like first when we had Ezra, we had a nanny start with us when he was a few months old, and it was just her and I in the apartment with Ezra. And then when Jordan came home, like wow, I'm not used to like this much action. But then one of my best friends just quit her full time job. She ran um like the PR and social media at Garden of Life. She just quit her job there. She's after being there for like, I think like half a decade and to do her own influencer management agency, which is amazing. I'm so happy for her. But like three weeks in, she called me. She's like, I'm not mentally well. Like I am so used to being around people, like the camaraderie and it can definitely be isolating. Like I used to take the path train. People thought I was crazy. Every morning, not every morning, like probably three to four days a week. I would take the path train into the West Village from Hoboken. It's like a seven minute train. It's like nothing. Yeah. And I would take a bar class or a workout class or meet a friend in the morning to have camaraderie before I came home. Cause like I need it like others and by myself all day. That's like, yeah. it could be so isolating. I feel you like you need to be around time. people. You really yeah. do. I've been working in a corporate office for 10 years and then, you know, starting to work from home. It was definitely, definitely a weird experience. And now leaving that and just working with Rachel has even been crazier because it's just her and I for you know most of our working day, and then we're <laughs> plus two we're best friends anyone could have. <laughs> so I, I think I think when we were just down in Florida, we probably spent the most time away from each other. When I like went to play golf, or she like did something with her mom for like a couple hours, which was. People yeah. are like, did you have a great trip with Jordan and Farley? I didn't see him. <laughs> I saw my mom. I was with my mom all day. You, you, all need day some healthy, day. you need some healthy me time for sure. But I, I think, honestly, the, the work from home thing, I, I think has, has affected a lot of people mentally and emotionally. People yeah. underestimate how much of their social construct is, is driven by work or just needing to leave your home to go to an office. And so... I'm definitely no advocate for uh, working from home, you know, every day or commuting every day. Like I think all things need balance. I was working quote unquote remotely, semi from home, semi semi co working space uh, before COVID, just by product of being you know one person team with with my collaborators all over the country. And you know, I would never do it every day from home. Like I I, I need to be around people, and so I I think the the work from home thing affects everybody. I do think that the entrepreneur thing is, it's very, very lonely. It's definitely worth it. But I partially believe that my going out on my own has helped me connect emotionally with entrepreneurs in a way that I couldn't before I started Selva Ventures. And a lot of what we talk about together is just dealing with some of the the really tough challenges that, you know, Make you feel like there's existential risk in your business, or or give you lack of clarity of what to do. The stakes feel so high, and having people to talk to and be around in those situations is everything. And so I'm very excited to have a teammate, and I think you two have great teammates. <laughs> Thanks. 
what companies like that you've invested in or like looking at are you like most excited about right now? If there's anything that you wanted to talk about. Oof. I mean, our first investment is a company called Mudwater. They make a coffee alternative. And you know, I was I was going through a journey of of just drinking like three or four cups of coffee a day and and feeling in many ways like caffeine did not necessarily give me everything I needed in that I'm actually very insensitive to caffeine, but I find if I have it too close to bedtime, like if I have it in the afternoon, it'll affect my sleep. And I felt like I was just drinking it for ritual, like having a a nice hot beverage at a certain point in time, like gave me a routine and energy that, that really worked for me. They basically have a lower caffeine masala chai based blend that is combined with, you know, functional non-psychoactive mushrooms that help you, you know, get better mental clarity and, and, uh, you know, ultimately feel better. Um, you know, they, they have done really well and and just launched their second product, a rest product, which is meant for before sleep instead of in the morning. That's what I'm reading. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Honestly, I, I have for a long time believed that not, not to be too punny, but people are like sleeping on sleep as, as a place of, of, you know, real wellness innovation. And, you know, they're one of the few brands that I think are, are doing something without cannabis that actually can really affect people's lives. And so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about them. I'm also a big pet guy. I give a shout out to my cat earlier, but like we're invested, we're invested in, in a company called native pet that's making cleaner dog supplements and you know, hopefully one day cat supplements. I beg, I beg them all the time to make some product that I can, that I can give to Benji. But like, I think the, the humanization of our pets is incredible. Like if you think, you know, my, my parents, you know, probably like had their dog sleep outside. And when we grew up, we were cat owners and now I'm a cat dad. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a cat owner. There's a, a massive, capitalistic implication of all of that, which is that, you know, what we feed our animals and the way we treat our animals really matters. And all of the ways that we're upgrading our own personal lifestyle are going to get applied to these family members who run around our house. So I would say there is a ton of really interesting innovation there. And, you know, on, on the cat side, I'm a big fan of, of Made by Nacho. That's Bobby Flay's got a, got a Maine Coon and they, they just raised some money from our friends at Kahu, but we know generally, uh, there's there's some cool innovation there. We know literally nothing about the pet industry. We don't have any pets, so it's just it's hard so- if you it's hard if you don't when you when you get one. I mean, we adopted Benji on the first day of COVID. We like scrambled to the shelter and, and brought him home, and we thought it was going to be like a two week foster. And yeah. <laughs> sure enough, he's still here. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, yeah, I, I think I think it it is honestly like pretty pretty synonymous with with how you feed your child in the early years before they can speak to you because you care deeply about their health. You want them to grow up healthy and live, you know, a, a long, healthy life. And, you know, in, in general, you're, you're going to, you're going to feed them something they will eat. Right. I mean, cats, dogs, and, yeah. and babies will all reject some food, but then on top of that, you tend to go overkill if you're a love, if you're a loving parent, because you want them to be as healthy as possible. And that's happening in pet, just like it's happening in, in children's food. That, that's why we like to invest in children's brands, because after becoming parents, we're like, you've realized that parents are so desperate to do right. whatever, whatever, and anything to make sure that we spend so are- much <laughs> dumb money on stuff for our kids. Like, I remember we were like, you'd be like three o'clock in the morning postpartum with Ezra and we oh, would be like ordering everything be, on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon at 3 a.m. was probably like laughing at us at the, at the stuff that we were buying. Totally. Anyway, do you have any other questions or should we go through our, uh, our final run? We can do our final run. I need to revamp the fireball questions. So I'm going to pull these ones out of my tush. Wait, wait, wait. What are you going to do my question then? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is Jordan. I, you this is my it. new favorite question. Okay. Do you do your own food shopping? I do. Definitely. I mean, you're, you're talking to a guy whose job is to bet on nutritional brands. So if, if there was, if there was ever going to be a complaint from my wife, it's not that I won't go to the grocery store, but that a grocery store trip lasts two hours. And so <laughs> I, I very much do. I look forward to it. I, I will often do the shopping and cleaning and some of the cooking. I'm not the greatest cook. I'm working my way up there, but uh, grocery shopping is a way I contribute and pull my weight in the house. 
So is there anything that you like outsource in your life that, well, I mean, yeah, the the real question is like, is there anything you outsource in your life that makes your life easier? Hmm. That is a good question. And we, we have a, we have a cleaning service here that, that definitely would be like, you know, I, I don't find cleaning therapeutic. I sometimes like listen to podcasts when I'm, when I'm doing the dishes and that's about all I got. I think the the other thing is, you know, as, as the world has opened up more, we we travel a lot and we don't bring our cat with us. And so actually having having a cat sitter that we can rely on is is like incredible. And if without that, our lives would be very, very complicated. And so we we spend a lot of time and money on making sure that he's well taken care of. I am deceased. I don't know many cats. Benji have. sounds like he's living the life. He's the man. He's he's got it pretty good. What are your favorite podcasts? One is Invest Like the Best. It's yeah. it's run by a guy named Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Uh, it, it's incredible. I have learned so much about investing and just the world in general, listening to the people that he has on there. And um, I'll, bas- I'll basically consume anything he puts out. Uh, what else? I listen to I listen to a lot of the the kind of daily news stuff from Axios. Uh, I find I find there are really helpful, you know, business politics and and technology forward organization that that really understands what's going on in the world and tries not to bring such a a partial lens to a lot of it. And so oh, I, I really enjoy them. And then, you know, I, I I would say beyond that, just as a as a lover of all things food and beverage, I love Taste Radio. The folks at BevNet are are basically the best in the best in 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 our ecosystem. And yeah. so um, they're one of my favorites. On top of subscribing to Wellness, plug for my my fellow uh, Selva teammates. Yeah, I'm gonna check that one out. Um, what TV show are you watching right now? We just finished watching The Good Wife, which is like a, a big throwback. We, yeah, I, my wife and I, it's like I don't know why we didn't watch it at the time, but but we watched it over like the past um, year or two. Um, I'm personally just got caught up on on Succession, which is. A lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I don't really know who to root for there, to be honest, but it's it's definitely entertaining. I think we're in the middle of the, of the last season. Right? Oh, I thought no, I thought we finished it. Did we finish it? I think we finished it. Oh. I usually like if I start something, like I get very thrown off if I don't finish. It. I think we finished yeah. it. Do you like mm-hmm. Billions more than su- Succession or Succession? I like Billions more. Nothing. Yeah. I do. I do. As an investor, it's just a little bit more connected to what I do, and and I find it a lot funnier, to be honest. Like they. They so, have this yeah. humorous take on a lot of it that I, I really enjoy. It's my favorite show they, ever. They really rub the acronyms in your face in that show. They do <laughs> learn a lot on that show. Yeah, you do. I, you do. I think that's a, one of the best shows ever. I actually saw Damian Lewis on the sidewalk. Like, oh, so what? No, this must have been like five or six years ago. I Probably think like was, after the first season. Yeah. And I was on the phone with my mom and I was walking on 17th between 7th and 8th Avenue. And I'm on the phone with my mom and I see him coming. And I was just like, I I see celebrities all the time in the city. Like once I follow Jake Gyllenhaal home, but whatever. So, (laughs) but I just like kept walking and I was like, oh my God, I love you. And I just like kept going. Like I didn't, I don't want to stop him. Like what was I supposed to do? Like for his autograph. And I was like, oh my God, love you. Huge fan. But I just kept going. My mom goes, love you too, Rach. I was like, Ah. mom, I was talking to X. (laughs) That's funny. That's really funny. He's he's amazing. And then my last and favorite question ever. It's your last day on earth. What are you eating from breakfast through the end of the day? Whew. That's so hard. Oh my God. I know. But like uh, people saying what, what's your favorite food is like a lot harder because you have to pick one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, I, I love, as I've learned, it became a guilty pleasure once I knew how much sugar was in them, but I love acai bowls. So I probably started off with an acai bowl with peanut butter. There's a, there's a place called basic down here that has like a 40 minute line. It's the only 40 minute line I'll wait in. Um, so that's, that's one. That's really acai bowls too or whatever. Yeah. I would, I would probably, I would probably go for either some, some Hawaiian pizza, which people think I'm pretty weird about. Yeah. I can see it in your face. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe like 5% of the world thinks Hawaiian pizza is awesome. And everyone else thinks those 5% are weirdos. It's a very polarizing thing. Uh, but you know, the rock likes Hawaiian pizza and that's my air cover. Um, okay. you then, do. 
<laughs> and then, um, if I'm about to die and I don't need to worry about my health anymore, I'd probably have like a, a nice steak dinner somewhere. Nice. What about dessert? Ooh, um, definitely has to be ice cream involved. I love all things, peanut butter, chocolate. So maybe, maybe something peanut butter, chocolate with some ice cream. Nice. That's my it was favorite. hard to do that without slotting my brands in because that's <laughs> like a lot of what I consume for happiness. So, uh, I, I could, I could do all that. But if I was, if I was going no CPG, you can add, I, you can add a peanut butter, a peanut butter midday square. I throw the peanut butter midday squares in the afternoon. That's probably what I do. I'm going to eat one right after this. Me too. My absolute favorite. Well, Kiva, do you have any other questions? No, we're good. Thank you so much. Tell everyone where they, do you want anyone to follow you somewhere? Your Instagram is private. No, it's not really. It is. Oh, I got to make it open. Yeah. Um, All right. It's, it's Kivster, K-I-V-S-T-E-R. And then that's what my dad calls me. And then uh, (laughs) (laughs) my, my Twitter's at Kiva Dickinson. And Selva Ventures is also on Instagram that, that kind of covered, we, we don't post a ton, but it, it's got like who we're invested in and some cool pictures of the brands and we keep it updated as we make new investments. Love that. Well, Kiva, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so everyone much, for Kiva. listening. Thanks for having me.